Father in heaven, we are thankful for this day. Lord God, that your mercies are new every morning. And today, in fact, Lord, we are the recipients of new mercy. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for being here. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for being the source of life and light and healing. And Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. Triune God, we welcome you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of you were here last week, and there, there will be others that will, hi Kathy, uh, will be kind of straggling in a little bit because of the, uh, the time change, and like I said, most of them will not be here, and that's okay, we're going to podcast it. So my background, and I mentioned this briefly last week, my background was that I, I was in the Jesus movement, and I found my way... Uh, from in the Jesus movement, in the Vineyard movement. And I was a Vineyard pastor for many years. Uh, and then in 1999, I transitioned out of my pastorate, working in missions, uh, traveling a lot to Africa, predominantly training pastors in Africa, and, and then teaching on the side. I'd gone back to school and what have you. And then teaching at the King's University as an adjunct professor. And then, of course, a year ago, um, Pastor Brady... Uh, had, was contacted by a gentleman from the main campus of the King's University in South Lake, in Dallas area, and I accepted that position. So, you know, kind of found our way through all that. But Linda and I have been a part of the downtown uh, team uh, since downtown started and had the privilege of being friends with Glenn for a long time since he was a, a young rock and roller in the Des- Desperation Band along with my son Eric. And so that's kind of how we... We got to know each other. Glenn found in me that I was a theology nerd like he was aspiring to be, and, and the rest is history, as they say. So, um, so when Glenn asked me, oh, it's been about a month and a half ago now, he said, would you be open to teaching, one of the, through, well, we, we came up with the March dates, but he said, would you be open to teaching, and, and not just teaching, but coaching through ministry training? He said, like the old vineyard stuff. And I said, are you sure? You know, uh, we, had our, we had our good, bad, and ugly, but overall, God did move in some profound ways. And so, last week, we, um, we had some introductory comments and remarks, talked about some presuppositions, some philosophical presuppositions that we want to treat people with, with dignity as Jesus would, would treat them. And so, this week gets just kind of dives right into the practical. How many of you have ever been in a prayer setting? Maybe, maybe you were part of a prayer team. Maybe you were unintentionally conscripted into a little ad hoc prayer team. Maybe you were just there and suddenly somebody with a fairly significant or it would appear significant issue comes up and asks for prayer and you find yourself going and you're looking around for some professional of which there's none. By the way, there are no professionals in this field. Uh, there's just disciples. But you're looking around, and so not unlike uh, many have done before, you just kind of close your eyes, stick your hand out, start talking, and hope for the best. Has that described anybody's prayer experience ever? You know, yes. Father Marty will freely, you know. The only difference of those of us that are professional clergy is that we fake it with more panache than, uh, than the lay people. Am I right? That's right. We, we know how to, you know, oh God, 
and you, the pregnant pauses and all those kind of things. And so I found that sometimes, especially if you're praying for a lot of people, you don't know if you're... Oh, thank you, sweetheart. Actually, I have my, oh, I have my water right over there. But thank you. Okay. Isn't she wonderful? Who is she, by the way? I, no. <laughs> That's my wife, Linda. So, at the heart of it is, how do you actually pray? And is there anything in the scriptures we can learn from that? that to, to actually engage in prayer. It's, it's easy to understand when you're, when you're studying theology, for example. It's easy to understand how the genre of literature in the scriptures changes how you approach studying the scriptures. In other words, I'm going to study the poetry portions of scripture differently than I'm going to study the historical narratives. You know, because one is, is more factual prose and one is intentionally symbolic and figurative and imaginary language that is not true. You know, God is not a chicken, though he covers us with his wings, you know, and, and so forth. So that's easy to understand. Well, can't you take the same idea, the same dynamic, and say, do we pray for every prayer need the same way? Well, how did Jesus pray for people? I had the shock of my life when John Wimber, who was the, 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 the primary leader in the vineyard movement, one time told me to do something as an assignment. Early on in the, in the vineyard's history, when Linda and I were just kind of starting out and had just gotten to know John, John said, get a copy of the Bible, that you, not your regular Bible, just like a, one of those hardback, cheapo, you know, like pew Bibles or something. And he said, go through the Gospels, take a highlighter, and highlight the actual quotes, the actual words of every prayer of Jesus is when he prays for somebody's needs. Actually, not, not the, and Jesus prayed for people when they were healed, but the actual quotes. So I did that. Can you imagine what, what kind of, think through that, what kind of, what, what did it sound like? Stretch out your hand, rise up, see, hear, leave, <laughs> you know, I mean, in the case of demons, you know, be quiet, demons. He was always telling demons to shut up. The, the, the Greek word epetizomai, it's a imperative and it means to throttle or to say shut up. It was, uh, contrary to a lot of modern deliverance ministry, Jesus not only rarely, only one time ever even communicated with the demon. Every other time he commanded them to shut up and then proceeded to cast them out. And that one time was a, a different situation. Come on in. There's some uh, handouts right there. So then now we're in a big living room. We started with a small living room. At least there's, and, and folks will trickle in, no doubt, as we all realize that I had to figure out how to change the clock on my dashboard while driving this morning. You know, so that worked out well. You know, so. so, do you pray the same way for somebody who says, my knee is hurting, and somebody who says, my marriage is hurting? No. In the same way you don't understand, you don't interpret poetry, scripture, the same as you would interpret narrative, you know, scripture. So that, that the challenge became, how do we go to scripture and learn from Jesus how to actually pray for people? And so uh, a number of people, well, more than a number, many have, have taken on this task over the years 
Back in, in the uh, 1980s, John Wimber, who was this um, figurehead or leader in the Vineyard Movement, had been at Fuller Seminary teaching and became rather well-known internationally for being what we call naturally supernatural. John and some others developed just a way of walking, talking through the idea of prayer, healing prayer and ministry prayer that actually would help somebody know how to pray for another person. Because that's the challenge. And, and for those coming in late, we talked about when you just have the same style of prayer for every person. Now, this is a terrible guy to quote, but Abraham Maslow, the founder of humanistic psychology, said it this way. If the only tool one has in one's belt is a hammer, one tends to treat every person like a nail. And I think there's some a lot of truth in that. So if I only know how to cast demons out, I may not be praying as effectively for broken relationships as I could. Come out in Jesus' name. You know, it, it has ramifications, you know. It may not be helpful. And so, and so in learning this, we went to the Scriptures. And, and so what you have in front of you is not the right way to pray for people. Okay, I want to say that right off the bat. This is not the way to pray for people. This is in looking at Scripture and looking at specifically the ministry of Jesus and how he dealt with people with a variety of, of, of distressing situations and challenges and, and diseases and oppressions and, and, and afflictions. Learning in a Western rational way how we can effectively engage in prayer and actually anticipate and see the kingdom of God come and inbreak into that person's life. In other words, somewhere between close your eyes, stick your hand out, start talking and hoping something happens, and the other side, some kind of, of formulaic prayer where you just pray the exact same thing every time, somewhere between those two poles, there's got to be a way of engaging the person expecting and praying for God's Spirit to actually lead us and see something happen. Because I'm not talking about um, anything carnal here, but if I'm praying for somebody, I'm hoping that they will get better as a result of me praying for them. You know? Aren't you? I mean, what's the goal of praying for a sick person? Pop quiz. For them to be healed. Yeah. Now, we, yes, we know they aren't always healed. Okay, we, we agree on that one. In fact, more people that I've prayed for for healing have not been healed than have been healed. However, a few have, and I, I like the way this was put once. A lot more people have been healed because I'm willing to pray for people for healing than if I would never pray for people for healing. How's that for logic? But it's true. If we actually have a sense that God wants to heal people and God wants to use us, maybe it'll happen. So let's, in the little um, paper I gave you, I have three little observations at the beginning. Jesus is modeled to us in his ministry. And the first one I say, Jesus was responsive to God's direction. And there's so many passages, but I wanted to just highlight uh, one in, under each of these little points. John 15 and in verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. He said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. 
Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And then if we drop down to, to verse 30, excuse me, um, verse 30, by myself, Jesus says, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So maybe we could say it this way. Jesus only did that which he saw the Father doing. Jesus said those things the Father told him to say. Jesus did those things the Father told him to do. Jesus was all about doing the will of the Father. So why in one passage does it say that and many who were sick and demon-possessed came and Jesus healed all who were sick. And then we have at the pool of Bethsaida, which was a place where sick people hung out because of this, this uh, notion or this kind of... Um, um, legend that had developed that if an angel would come and stir up the waters that if you touched you were the first one to touch the water you could be healed you can imagine in a in a a culture 2,000 years ago that the chaos that probably happened to somebody thought they saw the waters stirring and and everybody running in and most of them being disappointed apparently or maybe all of them and Jesus goes to one guy and says you know do you want to be healed? Why did Jesus single out the one guy then? And why does he seem to heal a whole lot of other people in other settings? Yeah. Well, that's a very good answer. Whose faith? Okay, interesting point. In Luke 5.17, it says, teachers of the law and Pharisees were with Jesus, and he was, it says, the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Over in Mark, chapter 6, Jesus is in his own hometown, and it says he's unable to do anything because of their unbelief. That's right. So I did something, encouraged by John Wimber uh, years ago. Uh, I took the four Gospels, and I found all of the healing accounts in the four Gospels, separate ones, not, not duplications, and found that there are 50 verses that reference healing encounters in the four Gospels. Of those 50, 20 of them are so generic, you can't really tell anything. It just says, and many were healed, you know, or something like that. So, of the th so there's 30 that gave us some indication as to where the faith was located. Okay, so what I did is I, I drew, you know, on a piece of paper, three columns. And I identified the faith of the sick person, the faith of the friends and family, for example, the paralytic guy. And Jesus even says to the friends and family, your faith has healed him. Or Jairus' uh, daughter, I mean, she's dead, so obviously her faith isn't operating. I think it's fair to assume, you know. And then the third one was the faith of the one doing the praying, usually Jesus. Where there's no faith in any of them, but Jesus goes ahead and heals. So we had the faith of the sick person, the faith of the friends and family, and the faith of the prayer, if you will. And so I started going through those 30 and trying to figure out how... How, how do you think it was distributed? This is what was interesting. Of those 30, nine times it was the faith of the sick person. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that statistics prove anything. But what I am saying is it's interesting that in two-thirds of the healing accounts in the New Testament, it is not the faith of the sick person, but the faith of either the friends and family or the one doing the praying. And isn't that consistent with your reality? Because when you're sick, you really don't have a lot of faith. 
You know what I mean? Your faith might be able to get you over to some group that are willing to pray for you, and that's about it. Right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves. The most, 11, was the prayer of friends and family. And then 10 was the one doing the praying. So in two-thirds of the accounts in the New Testament, the faith of somebody else other than the sick person was op- in operation when it happened. And now again, I'm not saying that proves anything, but I am saying that takes the heat off the sick person. Because we've put so much pressure on the sick person. You're not healed because you didn't have enough faith. Well, of course I don't have enough faith. I'm sick. Reasonable answer. But faith does have to be operating. Well, this is the principle we see here in John is that God is up to whatever God is up to and part of our responsibility is to find out what God's doing. Maybe another way of putting it is I want to bless what the Father is blessing. I want to do what the Father is doing. I don't know why the Father is wanting to move on that person right then. I don't know why in Luke 5.17 it says that and the power of the Lord was present there for Jesus to heal the sick. But I know that if I am coming alongside what God is choosing to do, I'm going to be a lot more successful than if I'm coming alongside something that I think would be a great idea, but I didn't bother to find out if God is actually blessing that or on that at that moment. Because even Jesus said, I only do those things the Father leads me to do. You know? So so Jesus was responsive to God's direction. I will pray for anybody anytime. But there are some times where there just seems like there's a presence of the Lord for something to happen. Some of you have had that experience. You've seen that. You've experienced that. I don't know why. I just know it is. You know? So I'd be a fool not to, not to do what the Father's doing. Number two, Jesus was relational with those whom he ministered to. Jesus didn't treat them like a project. You know... Uh, in um, the man with leprosy, when he comes to Jesus, says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. What's, what's the challenge there? He's a leper. What did Jesus just do? Jesus just broke the, the, the ceremonial law by touching a leper. That was such a taboo. But can you imagine to this guy who had been shunned by his village, by his family, by his friends by everybody around him, can you imagine the healing emotionally that happened when he felt the touch of this great teacher or master? He probably had no real understanding of, of who Jesus was in terms of the Messiah. But this guy that everybody's following and everybody's talking about reached out and touched him. That is, that's so profound, you know, to, to actually physically touch, you know, uh, someone, to, to care for someone. So Jesus was relational with those whom he ministered. He didn't just view them. In fact, one of the a pet peeve that, that John Wimber used to have, when we would pray for, we would be in these meetings, and a lot of people would be identified as having an illness or a problem, want prayer. He would say, you're not praying for cancer, you're praying for John. You know, you're not praying for uh, this or that problem, you're praying you know, for Teresa. They're a human being that you are reaching out to and ministering to. It's not a, 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 you know, it's not a condition. They're a person. And I know we know that, but it's important to just remember, do you even know their name? 
you know, before you start praying for them? You know, but that takes time. Yeah, it does. Yeah, oh well. <laughs> you know, it does take time. And finally, number three, Jesus was authentic and never manipulative in ministry. Jesus told the leper, go and show yourself to the priest, and have, which also, who also kind of served as a health inspector, and have him inspect you and check you out and make sure you're okay. Jesus asked the one guy when he's, uh, you know, he does the mud thing and puts it in his eye. I've never done that one, by the way. Uh, he says, how do you see? What do you see? And the guy says, I see men as trees walking. Well, what does that mean? That means he was having some actual healing, but it wasn't complete, was it? I mean, now most of us would be so thrilled if a blind guy suddenly said, I see light, I see fuzzy forms. We would have went, hallelujah, that's amazing. Jesus, it says, prayed a second time. You know, there's a doctrine, some of the hardcore um, word of faith or name it, claim it folks, uh, and, I, and I always like that term, uh, blab it, grab it, you know, fake, <laughs> fake it till you make it. Uh, and I've had some of them tell me to pray more than once is a lack of faith. I said, well, then the problem you have is Jesus. Because it says right there, and he prayed a second time. You know, and I'm not going to call Jesus, a, you know, lacking faith or doubt and unbelief or something. You know, so there's an authenticity and honesty. I have been around, you know, um, I'm in my latter 50s now. Good Lord, I hate saying that. Um, but I've been, you know, been around the block a few times. And I've been in, I've been in crazy meetings. I've been in healing services. I've been in, you know, I've seen healing evangelists. I've, I've all those things. And I've seen God move in some of those environments that now the, the, the culture of it, drives me crazy, but I've seen the Holy Spirit move, nonetheless. Um, if he can make a donkey talk, he can use certain televangelists, I suppose. Uh, but you can take that metaphor wherever you want. Uh, but you know, one of the things that, that I have seen is the psychological pressure for somebody to say that they're feeling better than they in fact are after they've gotten prayer. You know, because everybody's around and everybody's praying. Everybody, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And they always talk weird. You know, it's like you have to, you know, the vibrato has to come in and the, you know, air sucking. I don't know what that is about. You know, well, here in Colorado, I understand it. We're, you know, we don't have a lot of oxygen, you know. But uh, maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe all those healing evangelists, you know, took a ski vacation up here or something. Uh, but when, when you're going for it and you're praying and then it's like, do you feel anything? Do you feel anything? And the, the person getting bad enough, they're sick. They've got cancer. They've got, you know, I don't know. They've got Parkinson's. They've got some terrible diagnosis. And now they feel guilty telling you that nothing's happening. You know? I mean, maybe if, if some of you ever been victimized by prayer? I see a couple of hands going up. Seriously. I mean, so you, you've had that where... You feel this pressure like you're going to let them down if you say, not really. I mean, I feel like you care for me, but nothing's particularly happening. Jesus has this honest authenticity to his ministry that is refreshing. Because the, the answer is, and Jesus prayed a second time. So uh, I think our, our default should always be 
you know, are, are you, is there any change? Are you feeling the same? Okay, well, next week, can we pray again? Sure. Can we, in fact, you know, until something happens, until you're healed or dead, can we, don't say that, uh, can we just regularly pray for you? You know? And, and not put the pressure on them to, to be disingenuous or, or kind of, for your sake, well, maybe I'm feeling a little better. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, seriously. I, and I've been in those meetings, and I've even been a part of those, you know, drive-by, you know, healing prayer. You know, you, boom, and then you go on. It, I don't think it honors the spirit of what God is, is at work doing in people's lives. So, how do you pray? So somebody comes up to you, and, and, or you, whatever, that, that you find out, and they say, would you pray for me? Well, the first question we've got to ask is, what, where does it hurt? I mean, what am, I, am I praying for a, a broken relationship? Am I praying for a spiritual attack? Am I praying for a, you know, a cold virus that has invaded their upper respiratory system? Am I praying for them to get a job? You know, I mean, it does matter what I'm praying for because... Am I going to invoke, you know, spiritual authority and take authority over some demonic presence? Probably not if I'm actually just praying for them to do well in a job interview, you know. So I need to know. So, and we look at this, a model. Again, this is just a model. To the extent that this is helpful, use it. To the extent that this isn't helpful, then it goes out the window. Okay, so don't, don't worry about that. But the first is what we call the interview. What are we praying about? Introduce yourself. Now, for those, some of us that are in the, in the front that pray, you know, like during communion after the service, the challenge for us is always how loud the band is at any given moment, you know? So it's, you know, what? What? <laughs> My name is, you know? And so we, we, we struggle with that a little bit, but uh, the best to our ability. But find out their name, who they are. And... Introduce yourself and you say, how can I pray for you? You know, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, the guy's lying in a mat and he can't walk, so the answer might seem obvious, but how can I help you? How can I pray for you? It, it allows the person to share for a moment and not just be the next guy in the prayer line. Sure. But, and everyone else clearly sees his disability. He's that disability in his head and there. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a disability. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. There is, Jesus is intentionally reaching out to that man relationally. Yes. That's exactly right. For the sake of the podcast, um, that Jesus clearly knew the situations and yet would, in, would, would engage the person for the purpose of intimacy and relationship. And, and, and we're to do the same thing. Again, just as the first example we gave, touching the leper. Actually, the physical touch. You know, um, Glenn has shared this, um, this terrible analogy uh, a number of times. I say terrible just because how horrific it is, but um, reports we've read from um, orphanages in some areas of, of the former Soviet Union where the, the little babies in the cribs would no longer cry 
because they, they just became conditioned to the fact that no one would ever come and pick them up. And, and so that you know, human touch and, and care. Now, I, I mean, we have to say it, though it's obvious, we shouldn't have to say it, obviously reasonable and appropriate human touch, you know, and even, even if it's, I always think it should be co-ed when possible or same sex, same gender when possible. Uh, if you're going to pray for someone, uh, if I'm going to pray for a, a, a woman, I'm going to ask, is it okay if I lay my hand on your shoulder or something like that? That's just an appropriate thing. Guys, we just, you know, it's like, you know, you just, whatever, guy to guy, nobody cares. But, um, you know, be appropriate. But still, the human touch, the human um, connection. And so, where does it hurt? But number two, ministry diagnosis. What are we really praying about? So at the same time that I ask the person, how can we pray for you? I'm asking the Holy Spirit. How can I pray for them? Now, how does, God, how does God speak to you? How does God drop something into your spirit? Because I know you're, you're here because you've had some of these experiences. How, how does that happen? Where suddenly the person says, I need prayer for something, and you just get this sense of, of something that was not maybe even what they said. How does that happen? What is it? Did, was it an audible voice? A text? Just know it. What were you going to say, Debbie? You said, what's that? Scripture comes to mind? You see something? Okay. Um, sometimes a, a word just comes. Sometimes a scripture. Sometimes you see. You know, the reason I ask this question is because out of five people, I got four different answers. Okay. I think it says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone to profit with all. It, it is, it's not a one-size-fits-all. But the Holy Spirit can speak to us in ways that our spirit is able to connect. And, and of course, the immediate thing is, oh, that couldn't be God. Well, it may not be God, that's true. But at the same time, you are now engaging in prayer for somebody and you've just prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to show you something. Do you really think the devil is rushing, rushing in to give you a word? You know? I mean, I think we can say safely that that environment is right now in the presence of God. Now, the secret is how do you deliver that word? And that's the make or break point. This is why we're calling these little talks being naturally supernatural. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord, even if you know the Lord just said it. That doesn't decrease the reality of what God has just said by you talking weirdly or, or with this bombastic sort of authority, you know? I was a pastor for too many years. I had, I had many well-meaning and sometimes not as well-meaning people who would come and say, Pastor, I have a word from the Lord for you. What was my usual response? And I mean, I, I, you know, I know how to play nice. Oh, really? Please, tell me. Yep, it's like, oh, sheesh, <laughs> you know, because half the time it's, I'm really ticked at something and I don't have the guts to talk to you about it, so I'm going to make it, I'm going to put it on God, you know, I mean, that's usually what it was, but it sets people off, it gets them, unc- I have a word from the Lord for you, how about, let, let's say you're praying for somebody, I'm trying to even think of it, um, you're praying for something else and, and suddenly you just become aware that there was a great loss in their life, you just had this 
this sense of sadness or this word loss or a picture or a scripture. Or, I don't know, you know, just this. And so you say to them, you know, I, I could be, I may be wrong on this, and, and if I am, I'm so sorry, but is, I, I got this sense about loss. Does that mean, you know, as we're praying, is there anything that I could pray for regarding that? And they may say, not really, or they may, I mean, even if they say not really, that's okay. I, I can't tell you the times that after the fact, the person has told me that was absolutely right on, but I didn't know what to say. I was nervous or scared. You know, I mean, I've heard that one. But as you're saying that, if all of a sudden they melt into tears, here's a flash, that may have been from the Lord, you know? And so you just gently start praying as the Holy Spirit leads in that direction as well. So the ministry diagnosis is what are we really praying about? Are, are the root causes, natural causes? Um, I mean, if, if the person had a skiing accident and tore their, you know, their meniscus in their knee, it's pretty straightforward what we're praying for. But if there are other issues, relationships, if there's some spiritual warfare issues, you might be praying for something different than what their complaint was, you know? And so that leads to number three. And, you know, what you don't do, you know, don't, don't put all this on a little card, laminate it, and have it in your pocket, okay? This is not like, okay, excuse me, okay. Now, prayer engagement. Well, you know, it, this is just to kind of help process through that, that, that dialogue with the person and with the Holy Spirit to where you're praying effectively for people. To the degree that it's helpful, use it. To the degree that it's not, don't worry about it. But prayer selection. Am I, if I'm praying for physical healing, if you look at all the scriptures about physical healing, Jesus does an interesting thing. He's always talking to the illness. It's the strangest thing in the scriptures. He says, see. He's not telling the guy to see. He's telling the eyes to see. He's telling the ears to be unstopped. The guy can't unstop his own deaf ears, but Jesus is telling the ears to be unstopped. Get up. The guy's paralyzed. How can he get up? Jesus commands. Now, that, this has to do with, just touched on last week, and it was on the back of, of the sheet we handed out about the, the kingdom of God that Jesus actually takes authority over physical obstacles to the coming of his kingdom. You know, you think of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seeing that there are no broken bones in heaven, there is no Parkinson's disease in heaven, there is no cancer in heaven, we pray here on earth as it is in heaven. And we take authority in the name of Jesus over these physical conditions. We don't, and, and you don't have to get weird and yell. You know, um, diseases, neither diseases nor demons are deaf. Okay? And so there's no benefit in getting weird with your voice and your, you know, just, Lord, we thank you for so-and-so. And we just come to you on behalf of him or her and, and, and this Parkinson's. And we ask in the name of Jesus for you to come and heal. And we take authority in Jesus' name. We command this disease to, to leave in Jesus' name. Will it? Not always. But taking the boldness to actually pray the way Jesus prayed opens up the door for, for things to happen spiritually. And so we actually pray that way. 
We, and if you don't believe me, this was the weirdest thing to me. Um, when Wimber asked me to underline all those, those quotations of how Jesus prayed. But when Jesus curses a fig tree, it says, And he said to the tree, Be cursed and may no one get fruit from you again. And it says, And his disciples remembered that. I guess so. He's talking to a tree. And then later he comes back and the tree's withered at its roots and his disciples said, hey, that was the tree, you know. And then Jesus, they don't understand it, so Jesus' explanation to the cursing the fig tree is, if you say to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, it'll be done. It's like, oh, great, thanks. That really clears it up. <laughs> but you see, what, what, I, what I think we see there is a broader kingdom principle what he's saying is even physical obstacles, even physical things can be blocking and restricting the work of God in somebody's life. And we actually take authority over those physical obstacles in the name of Jesus. We actually, Jesus cursed the tree. He said, say to the mountain. Again, strange verse. But we actually pray for the person, we invite the Spirit of the Lord to come, and we actually speak to the condition, as strange as that sounds. How many of you have done that before? There's a number of us. The others are going, oh man, this got weird really quick. No, it, it, it isn't weird. It's, it's, well, it can be weird, but it's not my fault. It's the way the Holy Spirit sometimes does it. It's wanting to pray wanting to honor what the Father's doing and pray the way Jesus prayed in a situation. Now, if, it's, if they're praying for their marriage to be stronger, if, they're, if the guy's praying for his job interview, if there are a lot of times I'm just coming in agreement with them and asking the Spirit to be there and God to give them wisdom and encouragement and, and all those things. But if I'm actually praying for a specific physical condition, Oftentimes, I'm going to actually lay my hands on it and, and speak to that condition in the name of Jesus and command it to be gone or to leave. And what we found is that many times the Spirit of the Lord in moving through that, the person has some encounter and sense of the Holy Spirit literally in their physical body. Anybody here, has some of you experienced healing? Where you've experienced kind of that? You're shaking your head, Yeah. It works. Yeah. And, and as you're praying, you know, we invite the Lord to come. We invite the presence of the Lord to be there. We ask the Lord to be there. We're, we're sensing what God is doing. We're trying to engage and encourage this person. And then we're, at, we're just saying, Lord Jesus, fill my lips, fill my mouth. Let me be an instrument of you right now. And so I place my hand on their their back or their head or their ears or their whatever and asking permission and doing it gently. You don't have to, you know, give them a massage, you know. Just pray for them. Sometimes if, if there's a group of people praying, if it's, say, a, a lady, uh, we might have another lady in the prayer team lay hands on them and then we just kind of put our hand on that lady's hands or something like that, just, you know, just to be appropriate and, and sensitive. But to actually begin to pray. And so, when you, that's, we're down to number four. You start praying. Uh, three and four is kind of blends in. You just, I mean, you don't decide how you're going to pray and then launch over to praying. You just, but you start praying. 
And if you sense the Holy Spirit leading you in a particular direction, pray in that way, looking for or sensing their reaction to their prayer. You may need to pray sometimes with your eyes open. We used to joke that in our movement, we were opposite to the rest of the evangelical world. Most of the evangelical world, they, closed, they prayed with their eyes closed and they sang with their eyes open. We used to say we always sing with our eyes closed and pray with our eyes open, you know, kind of opposite. But sometimes we'll keep our eyes open while the person's receiving prayer just to be aware of what God might be doing in their life, you know? Um, sometimes it's tears. Sometimes there's emotional response. That doesn't prove anything. It doesn't mean anything, but I want to be sensitive to that, even if it's as simple as having a Kleenex nearby, you know, just... And here, this is a really practical one. Don't try to wipe somebody else's nose. (laughs) The best way we found to do it because sometimes they really need to wipe their nose, you know, is get a Kleenex and just stick it in their hand. And if they feel it and they grab the Kleenex, they can appropriately figure out how to use it. Okay, I mean, unless you're praying for a three-year-old, you know, then you can wipe their nose. But short of that, let them wipe their own nose. But to actually pray and, and ask the Holy Spirit to lead, and, and, and as you pray, just be bold but gentle, you know, and, and speak with some authority and speak with some calmness at the same time. And then number five is post-prayer ministry or follow-up. Ask how they're doing and look for honesty. You know, the I see as men as trees walking idea. In other words, don't just pray for them and then leave. Say it's something. How are you doing? Well, you know, and, that, and, and don't put it in a make me feel better by telling me you're feeling a little better. Don't, don't do that to them. But just find out and, 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 and just encourage them and just listen to them for a moment and make the commitment to pray again. Maybe another time, maybe next week, maybe in a couple days or, or exchange, uh, if appropriate, exchange you know, emails or phone number or whatever. But let the person know that you care. Now, the biggest fear of doing this is that you will pray for somebody who's sick and they will, in fact, not get better but even get sicker. Right? I mean, that's, that's the embarrassment. Oh, what if I pray and nothing happens? Well, you will pray and nothing will happen. Lots of times, I guarantee it. But uh, this is a quote from John years ago, John Wimber. If we pray for someone and all that happens is that they feel loved by us in Jesus' name, then they have been touched by the Holy Spirit. The worst that can happen is somebody cared, somebody listened, somebody touched them, somebody engaged Somebody prayed, somebody asked the Holy Spirit to come, somebody cared for them afterwards, somebody did follow-up, and they leave. And that's healing even in its own way. So the worst that can happen is they're better as a result of having been prayed for by you, even if they're not physically better. Okay? So, questions. I mean, we're going to... We'll take a few minutes and, and see if there's anybody who needs prayer today, but, but some questions that this brings up, I know it's got to. This is, can be kind of weird. It doesn't have to be, though, because you don't have to act weird. And that's half the battle. Yeah, Debbie. Yeah, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. 
Yeah, between them and the Lord. The question for the podcast is the Holy Spirit revealing to the person receiving prayer something, maybe a relation, a break in relationships or an individual or, or something. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that, that's a very good observation where sometimes, here's a question, can, can non-organic situations cause organic physical pain? Yeah. I mean... We know that not just from spiritually, we know that from, from uh, medical and behavioral science that, that um, stress and broken relationships and all, all those things can set you up for, for all kinds of issues, you know? So sometimes it's not always physical. It may be a relational issue or some other thing, and the Lord might even reveal it to the person receiving prayer. Uh, that's a great... Um, now, now, having said that, and that's a great observation... That's probably a, a more intimate prayer setting where you might have already known the person or might be some real trust with the people doing the praying. That may not happen always in a first time you've ever met them kind of an environment. You know what I mean? Uh, but that's a wonderful observation. It really is. It still gets down to listening to the Holy Spirit, learning how to discern, is this God? And I don't have the answer on that one. I just know that as I gently and humbly offer what I think the Lord is speaking to me, more often than not, it's right. And I don't think that's because I hear so remarkably from God. I think that God honors the fact that we're willing to kind of step out in faith to see this person get better. You know? Some other comments or questions in the back? Go ahead. No, go ahead. About what? Grief, okay. Right. 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 Sure. Process absolutely. Well, that's, and, and the answer the question is about grief. Um, we may have to table that for the next week or two when we deal with some of those uh, those, deal, those situations a little more specifically. But it's a great observation. Um, we we aren't claiming to um, understand everything on the one hand, and on the other hand, we acknowledge that we are fully human and. Sometimes the prayer, is, the prayer ministry is to help them through the process of what God is doing in their life, like, like grief, for example. Um, certainly, you know, um, that's where the interview comes in, too. If the person's up for prayer, comes up for prayer and says, my mother is dying. On the one hand, we will certainly pray for her mother, but we're going to be sensitive that maybe this is the end of her mother's life. And maybe this, in fact, is going to be, you know, a time when she's going to lose her mother and we need to be praying for her as well, you know. And so we've got to be so sensitive to that. Um, I've, been in, I've been in hospital or ICU units before where I remember one time the guy was brain dead. I think he'd been in a motorcycle accident, as I recall, and a um, young man and the family's there. And he, he was gone. 
I could tell he was gone. And the family members are wanting me to pray for healing. And they're, imagine, I mean, they're saying, did you see that? He just twitched his hand. He's trying to give us a message. And I'm looking at him and they, no, he's not. I mean, he's not. And that's, that's, when, that's when you put your arm around him and you love him and you pray for God's presence you know, to come near them because uh, even if every person we ever prayed for gets healed, they're going to die of something. You know? Because healing, we talked about this last week, signs and wonders are like signposts. The sign is saying, this is a little foretaste of what eternity is going to ultimately be like. This isn't the whole deal, but this is a signpost. God does touch and heal people's lives. He does touch and heal fractured relationships, and he even heals neurological disorders. But sometimes people get sick and then they die. And we don't want to abandon the people at that point. I've heard too many horror stories from some of those churches where people actually leave the church because their loved one died. The very time they need their community, they're, they're embarrassed because of that. And that's, that's just wrong. i got to be honest. That's just flat out wrong. But I'll try to address that uh, maybe in, in the coming couple of weeks. Mm. Good imagery. We, I, we view a canvas through a pinhole. I like that. <laughs> um, uh, God knows the canvas. Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes God's plan is to show us a person who said he chose not. Um, I lost my mother when I was 13 years old. Mm. And I now have three brothers, four sisters, two loving parents, in the place of a single mother. Mm. So God can take That's right. any evil that this world is turned to and bring it out. You know, they talk about 50-20 vision. We always talk about 20-20 vision. 50-20 vision, Genesis 50, verse 20. At the end of his life, Joseph, looking back, says, that which the enemy intended for evil, God has used for good. Um, you know, amen, that's such a good word. Sometimes suffering is part of it. I know John Wimber, the, the leader of the Vineyard Movement, um, John had cancer, and he had seen such miraculous healing in and through his ministry, and yet he felt very strongly that God was not going to heal his cancer through a miracle, and he had to go through treatment and all of the pain of that, and it was very humbling, and yet God used it in his life. You know, I just recently had, I had spinal surgery six weeks ago, and I'm doing great, um, and I, it would have been great if I would have just gotten healed, you know, but I'm so thankful. Actually, I have a, um, I have a, a, a neurosurgeon who goes to New Life Church who was laying hands on me as they were, he was wheeling me into the operating room. And he was praying. It was so cool because uh, Glenn and Evan and Dave Grothy from the main campus, Pastor Dave, were there with Linda and, and my son. And they prayed for me just before I went in. I didn't, I didn't like make a big deal because, I don't know, it was my surgery and I didn't want to tell everybody. But, you know, folks had prayed here too, some of the leadership. But as they, were dry, as, as, as they all left and it was time for me to go into the actual ER, I mean, you know, OR room, um, Dr. Ronnie puts his uh, his hand on me and he says, you know, they always say guide the surgeon's hands, you know that, you know that prayer? He said, Holy Spirit, guide my hands. <laughs> I've never heard a doctor pray that as he's wheeling me in and he's saying, Lord, and, and guide Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so who are assisting me and 
And I'll tell you, I felt the presence of the Lord. I felt such peace when they put the mask over me and, and then the anesthesiologist said, welcome to anesthesia land. And <laughs> that's the last I remember. Um, yes? As loud as you can for these folks. That's okay. Yeah. Right. Someone is not praying right, in a sense, or praying weird, or... Yeah. Well, you know, and that's... I love that... It, and what's your first name again? I'm so sorry. Nick. Nick. Nick's... I love Nick's... I'm going to steal that with your permission. I'll, I'll give you a, a attribution three or four times, and after that, I'll just pretend it's mine. Is that okay? Because <laughs> you probably didn't make it up either. Okay. <laughs> a friend of mine told me about his new book, Things I've Stolen from Other Thieves. Um, <laughs> Looking at a canvas through a pinhole. I love the imagery of that. Because there's probably things I'm saying in prayer that aren't always right. I think if we have a non-manipulative, non-abusive environment, the weird stuff tends to just kind of fall off. One of the things I often pray at the conclusion of any extended ministry time is... Lord, any of those things that were not from you, would you just let those things just kind of go by the wayside, just drop off, even from our memory, you know? Because everybody's trying to do their best. Everybody's trying to invite the Holy Spirit. Now, if the person is just getting obnoxious and you have some level of of, of supervision or responsibility in the team, you can actually just kind of put your hand on them and say, let's... You know, and you can just butt in. If not, you know, I don't know, damage control later, I suppose. Um, Then there's always a time to start a song, right? (laughs) Um, Believe me, more songs have been started than you think by trying to drown out some weird prophetic word in a meeting. Um, I I think as long as we close it up in prayer in a way that doesn't put the person under additional undue, you know... And, and sometimes I'll even not make a scene during the prayer. Like if they just think they have this word and it just seems weird. And later I'll go to the person we prayed for and say, you know, I think everybody here was just trying to do their best to hear from the Lord. But if, if some of those things weren't helpful, don't worry about it. You know, and just kind of give them freedom to go, okay, because that was weird. You know, because some people come from their little backgrounds and, you know, or they want to, you know, pour the whole thing of oil on top of your head or, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, whatever, you know, um, Let's see, we're getting, oh, we're almost, oh, goodness, how this time flies. Well, we're going to go ahead and extend our time in just for a moment. Is there anybody here that really would like prayer for a physical condition that you have? Is there anybody? My brother in the back and Kathy. Okay. Then let's do this. Let's, let's, a few of us gather, what's your, you told me your name last week, Paul, that's right, I'm sorry, Paul. I'll just think Apostle Paul in the back, you know, in charge. Would, would, you guys up there, Brother Nick, would some of you go around, Paul, and then others, my dear friend Kathy's right here, and would you just, this only takes a few minutes. Hi, my name is, what's your name? Okay. How can I pray for you? And then start praying. Okay. That's pretty easy. Go ahead and get, you're allowed to get out of your seats. And if you're not um, praying for somebody, that's okay, but, but I would encourage more than fewer. Okay. So just... And let's invite the Holy Spirit. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask your Holy Spirit to come. 
right now and move in these people's lives or their families' lives, Lord, or whatever the circumstances are. We pray in the name of Jesus that the prayer of agreement, the prayer of healing, the prayer of proclamation, Lord, would take, would take place. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Thank you, Lord.